This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Taisei Fu. And this is a special episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast for three reasons. First reason, you might have already noticed, Taisei sounds a little different. That's because he has a new microphone. Second reason, a little bit of a sadder reason, is that this is the first episode since the Montreal Canadiens got sadly illuminated a couple nights ago by the Flyers in Game 6. And the third reason is that our podcast is hitting a milestone today. This is our 50th episode. Cause for celebration. Woohoo! All right. So let's, uh, you know, so, you know, lots of up and down there. But uh, yeah, 50 episodes. That's uh, it's pretty remarkable, I think. It's a, it's a pretty big milestone, as you said. And uh, if you've stuck around, if you've listened to each of the 50 episodes, uh, big shout out to you. And uh, we couldn't do this without you, uh, all y'all listeners out there. And uh, yeah, 50 episodes. I mean, it, it passed really quickly. But uh, crazy that we're already here and uh, ready for 50 more. I think it's very important that we start with the Montreal Canadiens. And there, I, w- I would say my overall thoughts from that last game, the game six, I, I guess we haven't really had a show since game two, so we can talk about those other games too, especially those snooze fest, game three and four. But game six, it was just, I don't know, kind of kind of frustrating because one of the big storylines, Kelly Rudy kept talking about it too, was that I think like more than half of the goals the Flyers scored in the series deflected in off a Canadian's player. So own goals, I guess you could say. And at the beginning, I was I was kind of thinking like, oh, that's pretty unlucky, which is normal because that happens from time to time and it's mostly bad luck. But it, so it happened that many times, like even like the first two goals in the game, both I think within the first five or six minutes, both were also own goals. One like 28 seconds in, I was thinking, okay, I'm not sure if this is just bad luck anymore, if it's something systemic, systemic with Kirk Muller. And I don't know, I feel like that that's kind of what ended up sinking them because overall, like in game six, at least, I was kind of surprised to say this, but I think that they were better than the Flyers. A hundred percent. I think, uh, I mean, I think honestly, I think the Habs win that game probably seven or eight times out of 10 because look, they were, they were the dominating team. I think the, basically the entire game, uh, it's just the problem was they were chasing the Flyers and the Flyers, it shows if we talk about game three and four, we'll talk about that a bit later. I mean, when they had the lead, they liked to bunker down, set their neutral zone trap. That's what they did in the third period, really. And they just kind of sit on their lead and they do it well and they play their system well. And that's what Philly did. But I I mean, other than those, really, you look at those three goals. And frankly, there's a lot of puck luck involved for all of them for Philly. I mean, yeah, you obviously look at the own goals. Uh, yeah, it's a problem. I mean, at, at that point, after the second goal for the Flyers, like four goals in a row, four of their goals in a row were all own goals, as in they were, they were deflected off a Habs player. And yeah, you wonder, what's the deal there? Uh, there is a lot of puck luck involved, obviously, you know, weird bounces and, and whatnot. But also, you know, it's it's one of the main tenets when, when you're in the defensive zone to make your life easier on the goalie. It's really like get out of the way of a shot uh, or, you know, fully block it. And, you know, the Habs couldn't do either. Maybe it's indecisiveness in the defensive zone and maybe they just, they're not fast enough. They can't get. They can't close the space fast enough, and so therefore they only they only like tip the puck. And I mean that's a real problem because fuck Carey Price. If you look at those shots and the way he was playing all series, if the Habs player doesn't touch 
those pucks, he probably stops every single one of them. Maybe there's one goal in there where that gets by him. But all the other ones, I mean, I really, I, I don't think they go in. And I think the Habs are probably, maybe even playing a game seven tonight. Who knows? Uh, and even looking at the third goal for Philly, I mean, it was Ben Trot got rent like he he. He got engaged. We saw this with Lett, which was also a problem, where he would push people into his own net. Well, Chirac got pushed into his, his own net when he was back-checking, and I think that really impacted how Price... Uh, he really knocked over Price and impacted his ability to make the save. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, it was a theme a lot throughout the season, really, and, and even throughout the playoffs, and even just as a house fan. Uh, a lot of shooting yourself in the foot, I found. And, I mean, that's one of the more frustrating points of being a Habs fan, it's just like every single time, especially in Game Six when the Flyers scored, it was just like this is this this is exactly what happens every single fucking time they manage to shoot themselves in the foot and uh, and so many own goals. It's, it's just painful, painful to think about, painful to talk about, and definitely painful to watch uh, in in real time. Ben Chirot was one of the players who I thought looked kind of shaky in Game Six. Like we we mentioned him, like he kind of. Uh, surpassed expectations at many points throughout the season. Game six wasn't really one of those times. I don't know, maybe he was playing hurt like a lot of players seemed to be, um, but he just, he seemed like he was like a step slower than usual. And as long as we're talking about injuries, we haven't even mentioned this yet, uh, Brendan Gallagher and that whole Matt Niskanen situation, we should probably uh, talk about that a little bit. So, oh, and the Kotkaniemi, there's so much stuff that's happened. That was all in game five. Uh, so, of course, you know about the Yusperi Kakunyemi five-minute major, game misconduct, and basically, I think what I said to you at the, the time it happened was like, because everyone seems to be surprised, rightfully surprised, when that call was made by the officials, but like, I have a hard time getting mad about anything the officials do anymore, not because it's, you know, not outrageous or anything like that, but I'm just so used to it. I'm numb to it. I think... I. Uh, I cited the Cody Eakin five-minute major from last year's Game 7 that Vegas played against the Sharks as kind of like the breaking point for me. Like, at that point, I was like, all right, I have no idea what they're doing, especially in the playoffs. Like, whatever call they make couldn't possibly surprise me. But obviously, in my opinion, like, I think initially I, I said, like, in a vacuum, I don't mind the the major call. What bothers me is all the other plays I, I mentioned like like uh, Jordan Martinuk had a dirty hit against Andre Kasha that same day that only got called for two minutes. Pierre-Luc Dubois had done a bunch of dirty stuff that he should have gotten like at least fined for and like went totally uncalled. And stuff that happened in that game as well, like not just the Niskanen cross-check to Gallagher's face. I think it was Travis Sanheim cross-check Jake Evans in the face. Couturier gave a cheap shot to it was either Dano or Lekkinen after the empty net goal. So just inconsistency. That's the that's the sticking point. That's the big word for the officiating. Yeah, and the officiating, I mean, it seems like. And we're always ranting about it, but especially in the playoff times, I mean, it's just, I can't figure it out. The crazy part is you named all those Eastern Conference games, right? And fuck, they're all in the same building. They're all in Toronto. And you have to wonder if the rest talk to themselves or what's happening here because, yeah, first of all, they seem to not, like, it's a totally different rule book and they tear out half the, the, the pages out and, you know, most things aren't a penalty, let alone a freaking major call. Uh, and, I mean, the hit, it was a boarding penalty. I think uh, basically any hockey fan you ask will admit that, yeah, 
it was it was a penalty on the hit, but a major. Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, in in this environment, really, it's the consistency, right? Uh, if they were calling, you know, really by the book, they were going really strict, and they were throwing people out. They were calling these kind of calls, uh, and you know, if they were ejecting people on the regular, uh, then maybe I wouldn't have such a problem with Kakaniemi getting the game misconduct. However, I mean, fuck you. Look at all the other hits. There were many worse hits that had happened before that at that point. And none of, nobody, nobody else got ejected. But for some reason, they decided Kakanyemi was the first to go. Uh, and and that's what pissed me off. You know, like I, I, it's just it blew my mind that in that moment they decided, okay, this is where we draw the line. It's a major, it's a major penalty, and we're throwing the guy out. They get a huge five minute penalty where they can score as many goals as they like. They scored two. Uh, and really, if the Habs had lost that game, if they had gotten eliminated in five. Um, I don't know if I'd ever stop talking about that penalty uh, because, man, that was, it was just mind-boggling. I don't think anybody really understood why they called that major penalty. Uh, there are some theories like, uh, okay, if it's borderline, they can call the major and then go to review it. But the problem is, if it's still borderline, uh, they, the call stands on the ice. And that's what happened. And, uh, man... It's just, it's one of those things. It's like, the as you said, the bar is so low for these referees at this point. But still, like, you say that you don't manage to get, you know, so worked up about them. And yet still, I do. Despite the low bar, uh, they're still pissing me off left and right. And here I am screaming about the referees uh, yet again. It just doesn't stop. And uh, it's just, it's completely baffling. And, I mean, there are... Probably other questionable officiating calls I'm going to mention later on in the episode because it's just, especially playoff hockey, the referees for some reason can't get it right on a regular basis despite being, you know, fucking, these are the NHL refs here. These are supposed to be the best of the best. And yet they still seem to get it confused so freaking often. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk now about the Niskanen Gallagher Vino situation in particular. Um, so there was that cross check to the face, vicious cross check. I would say intent to injure, that went uncalled, and then Niskanen still ended up getting suspended for a game anyway. Uh, Alan Vigneault though kind of was drawing a lot of the attention and criticism from a lot of people for saying insensitive things. Uh, I don't have specific quotes pulled up right now, but the crux of it, like he he said something. In the vein of like, oh, I, I don't think he's actually that hurt because he kept talking and yapping at the officials and at our benches even after the cross check. And I think it was Elliot Friedman or maybe someone else pointed out like six years ago in the playoffs when uh, when Derek Stepan's jaw was broken in the Canadian series against the Rangers when Vigneault was coaching the Rangers and Stepan was on the Rangers. Uh, apparently, Derek Stepan kept yelling at the Canadians bench or something, and Gallagher made a comment like that after the game. And people were like, "Oh, look at that, Alan Vigneault getting his his jabs back in." Like, I, di- I didn't see much of that, but like, really, really, okay. First of all, you're with a totally new team now. This is six years later. Can you not like let that go? And maybe even if Gallagher was in the wrong for whatever poking fun at Derek Stepan, can you not like rise above that? It was just, I don't know. I I don't know if he was trying to like play mind games or something like. Like take the attention off the off his team because I don't know they if the other team is mad at you they won't score I don't know but like it didn't really seem to work even though the Flyers won Game Six it's not like the Canadians were off their game or anything like out of the 
out of the four games they lost, I think that one was definitely their best one of the series. Yeah, so the the hit, first of all, or the cross deck, I should say, uh, yeah, it was dirty as hell. I mean, you look at the timing in the game, too, uh, late in the third period, it just, yeah, intent to injure really seems like the thing you can use, whatever excuse you want, uh, the the whole, oh, he's so much shorter than me thing. It really, it doesn't, it doesn't really hold up to the test if you, you know, examine it for longer than five seconds. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was freaking dirty, man. He just cross-checked to the jaw. I mean, it fractured his jaw. What more do you need to know? And one game, I mean, now that they've been eliminated after that one game, the Habs, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't piss me off as much. But if they had pushed it to seven and Matt Niskanen drew back in the lineup and Brandon Gallagher was out indefinitely for how many series uh i would be still steaming about it but the fact that they're eliminated frankly has cooled down my emotions on this and when it comes to Alain Vigneault I mean I think I've lost a bunch of respect for Alain Vigneault this series uh I mean just first of all the off the ice stuff uh you're talking is he trying to like draw the attention I guess in that sense if you're trying to draw the attention away from the players and not to yourself in terms of media scrutiny uh that's one way to approach it uh, I guess he succeeded in that sense, but in terms of like avoiding to avoid like not looking like a clown, Vigneault completely failed because uh, I mean it just seems like a total lack of professionalism. Uh, we go back to last week when we talked about him whining about the you know Kirk Muller putting out his first unit power play in that five nothing blowout. Uh, that we talked about how much of a crybaby he looked then. Uh, was he playing mind games? I don't know, but he still looks terrible. He looks terrible, and I think Alain Vigneault, now this will be the first thing that comes to mind. He's just whining about God knows what, and then he brings up with this whole Gallagher thing. Uh, who knows if it's if he's you know throwing it back to six years ago, but if he is, and even if he isn't, this is some really petty stuff, man. And uh, are you really going to stoop to the bar of Brendan Gallagher six years ago? Uh, I mean, it just... It doesn't, he just kind of looks like a clown, to be totally honest. And, uh, yeah, just lost a lot of respectability. And goddamn, you know, that neutral zone trap strategy in games 3, 4, and 6. It's just, it's boring hockey. And you know he told his players to hunker down. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it made my life miserable. Not just because the Habs lost, but but, they, but like any Habs fan, that was, any any hockey fan that was watching that game would tell you, uh, once they once they really bared down on that neutral zone trap. It got hella boring. And so Alain Vigneault, yes, his stock has, has gone down drastically in, in my eyes. Yeah, game three and four, uh, both among the most boring games I can ever remember watching. And that's saying a lot because they're playoff games. I think you pointed out to me, I think it was during game four, like if you're watching this game as a neutral observer, like what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I probably would have turned it off by now because it was just so awful to watch. Like people saying, oh, Flyers, you know, during the like 95 devils neutral zone trap and i was i was watching and i was like man like are they really because it, it kind of looked to me like it was just both teams playing really badly and no one got any scoring chances i think the high danger scoring chances were like i don't know three three or something like pathetically low like that so that's kind of the, the story of game three and four and in game six heading into the third period when montreal was down Three to two, I had this kind of, you know, I had a pretty bad feeling, not going to lie. I, I felt like the Flyers were kind of just going to run back to the same thing that worked for them in game three and four. And, I mean, pretty much did work. Nick Suzuki kind of had this this great chance for, for a hat trick late in the third period when he kind of, like, dangled around two players, got a really high danger shot, but uh, but he couldn't quite convert. And then they had some a lot of good pressure near the end. 
but Shea Weber, man, top of the left circle, and he shoots he shoots wide on the far side. Puck circles around back down the ice, and at, there was still over a minute left at that point, but they couldn't really get any good pressure after that. So, thinking back, the end of the game, opportunities they could have had, and if Weber had just just focused on either hitting the net or at least shooting wide on the near side, and then they can keep the puck in the offensive zone, then who knows what happens. But man, that was shooting far side wide was the one thing he couldn't afford to do. Uh, it's, it's fucking painful. And it's one of those things of shooting yourself in the foot, right? And, you know, yeah, it's a small thing, but it ended up having big consequences at the end. Obviously, it goes around. And frankly, that's the end of the game for the Habs. And yeah, when it comes to games three and four... It's just, yeah, it kind of seemed like the the Flyers, they got their early, early goal, and they decided, you know, we talked about in game two, we talked about the, how the Habs went, you know, pedal to the metal to the end of the game. It seemed like the Flyers decided not to, and they believed that the Habs wouldn't be able to, to you know, beat the system. And, I mean, you talk about both, playing, both teams looking like they played bad. Well, you know, Philly looked good in the defensive zone and their ability to stop the Habs. And, yeah, the Habs didn't, so in that sense, I would say both teams. I think Philly, by winning the game, by getting the shutout both times, I think they did their job. I mean, look, it, it's not fun hockey to watch. Uh, yeah, if I am that neutral, that neutral observer, I'm turning that game off in, in a heartbeat. But I mean, they did their job. That that was their assignment clearly from Vigneault. It's to hunker down, and they did that. I think really as well as anybody could. You talk about high danger scoring chances. They really did not allow any, and you know, it's just. The Habs hit a lot of posts in Game 3, but they couldn't finish. And honestly, that was that was a story in Game... It was a story for a lot of it. I mean, for a lot of the series. It's just they couldn't buy a goal at certain points. You know, obviously they had five goals in Games 2 and 5. But other than that, you know, it's just you're looking for finishers. And, you know, this is one of the one of the main... Probably the, the sore points uh, or the points of improvement, I could say, for the Habs when it comes to this series is really... I found the wingers, you know, they really didn't contribute much to the scoring as much as the Habs needed. Uh, I mean, obviously, we, we marveled at the centers when it came to, you know, Kakaniemi and Suzuki, obviously. But on the wings, I mean, like, who really stood out? I mean, like, Jordan had some nice plays. He was really clicking with Suzuki near the end of the series. But other than that, you know, Gallagher had the one goal. Tatar, you know, he had a couple goals at one point, but for vast swaths of the series, it seemed like, you know, even the top wingers on the Habs completely disappeared. And yeah, we talk about shooting yourselves in the foot, but other than that, this is probably one of the main points of bigger things I point to when it comes to why did the Habs lose this series? Well, they couldn't score goals when they needed to. And and who wasn't scoring? Really a lot of the wingers. Yeah, that was one of my, I guess, one of my main takeaways from this this overall return to play experience was that the wing the wing now seems like a weakness for Montreal and I mean if you're talking about that in comparison to center defense or goalie that's probably a pretty good weakness to have because it's relatively easy to address through trade or even through free agency there are a couple decent options available and Cole Caulfield will be in the lineup relatively soon probably not this upcoming season and speaking of of big takeaways from this season. Uh, I want to know what, what some of yours are, but some of mine are, first of all, Nick Suzuki and Nisperi Kakanyemi uh, proved that they are more than capable of being the long-term core of this team. And I know we've we've gawked at them 
for so long now. Well, more longer for Suzuki, I suppose. But they, they fully deserve it because they're the top guns now. Nick Suzuki, save Carey Price, is the best player on this team already, in my opinion. And it's funny because Mark Bergerman, for so many years, talked about how you, you can't acquire a number one center by trade and you have to draft and develop them. And there he went and acquired one by trade. And another takeaway I want to mention before, before I get to you is the back of goalie situation. We see how good Carey Press can be with rest. And we see that he is still an elite goalie with rest. So I think, in my opinion, either Caden Primo or Vasily Dimchenko will be able to carry that 25 to 30 game load next year. But here's the thing. If you're Mark Bergevin, you have to make that decision now. You say either, hmm, I want to get a more proven backup goalie to carry the heavier load. Or if you trust Primo or Dimchenko, you stick with them. You can't you can't say like, oh, we'll see if they're any good. And then if they aren't up to the challenge, then you play price too much. Playing price not too much has to be the priority. And if that means that it costs you a couple regular season games because your backup goalie isn't good enough, honestly, so be it. When it comes to the wingers, like, it's a solid weakness to have, but it's when it comes to scoring goals, I mean, it's just so... I don't know. It felt like it was a pretty glaring thing. And so, yeah, you talk about free agency. Uh, maybe trade, you know. Max Domi, probably the biggest name when it comes to, you know, free agents this team has to deal with. He's a restricted free agent. And, you know, pretty big question mark. I got to say, uh, he had a great season last year. This season, he really struggled. And in the playoffs, really didn't shine. I mean, he was... On the fourth line for vast swaths of it. And then he got bumped up. He played a good game uh, in the in his first game in the top six. I think it was bumped up to the second line. But after that, he kind of disappeared. And when we needed him most, didn't really deliver. And yeah, after that first game when he was bumped up, I he really was invisible. And, and I talked about, you know, Drew being invisible. It seemed like he, he picked it up near the end of it. But Max Domi, he never really showed up. And then that's... That's one of the things, you know, like what kind of contract are is Mark Bergevin thinking of giving him? Uh, like what's the limit here? How What's the term? And like what's the money? Especially for a guy who was sitting on your fourth line for a long time. And frankly, I would say doesn't really fit into this team uh, given how it's structured right now. I don't really think he's carved out a great role for himself with the season that he just had. Uh, and so, yeah, is he a candidate for trade? Uh and if he does get re-signed, really the terms I think are going to be fascinating. But the, because this is a guy who had a terrible season, by, by, I would say a pretty terrible season, especially compared to the year before. And yeah, really wondering what's the deal with Max Domi here because he really didn't shine. He really struggled. And now the man needs a new contract. Yeah, I was thinking about, I guess we can talk about this now before we talk about the other the other series. Uh, like kind of a little bit of a, an off-season preview from Montreal and Max Domi was one of the players I wanted to mention because I'd be I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was traded away if he's a player we don't see coming back and a lot of that is the reason you mentioned like it just didn't seem especially when he was on that fourth line that he just kind of seemed like the odd man out with the way Montreal wants to be heading now and he is an RFA and they're going to they have a lot of players heading into the final years of their contracts including Gallagher, Petrie, Tatar, Dano, Kotkaniemi, Yoel Armia. Then, of course, the year after that, Suzuki's going to need uh, his second contract, and it's probably going to be pretty big. Hopefully, it's going to be pretty big, because hopefully he will have earned a very big contract. 
So if Max Domi is who they need to get rid of so that they can keep those players, I'm not too upset about that. And I've, I've seen it thrown around a little bit, by not by any like real insiders or anything, but I kind of, I'm intrigued by the idea because Florida is going to have like no centers behind Alexander Barkov of a deal kind of uh, uh, built around Max Domi for Mackenzie Weger. And I know that doesn't really shed any salary, but it does kind of uh, exchange a player for a player who I feel like kind of fits in with, with Montreal's direction a little more because they aren't as deep on defense. They've got Weber, they've got Petrie. Hopefully, uh, and, and I expect Petrie will be around for longer past this coming season. I do think they'll extend him or at least try very hard to. Sherratt still got a couple years left. Romanov, uh, Brett Kulak, Victor Mate. That is six right there. If you want to get a seventh capable guy in Mackenzie Weger who could play both sides, who can play in the top four, I wouldn't be too opposed to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, defensive depth, definitely something the Hags need. I mean, you're talking about playing Xavier Wallet for the entire series. Uh, and frankly, Xavier Wallet's not very good. Obviously, we've got Romanov coming in, but, you know, he sounds like a great prospect, but he's no certain thing. And so if you can get some defensive depth, uh, and obviously, you know, injuries and whatnot, you got to deal with those during the season. Yeah, Mackenzie Weger sounds like a great trade target. And really, anybody who kind of slots in nicely, possibly some, you know, cost control down the road, which Max Domi obviously doesn't have, uh, really works for me. If you want to get a middle six guy as well, if you can get that somehow out of Max Domi, I think that would work fine as well. It's just, yeah, going into the future, I think really trading him seems like the demo- the most direct path forward because, yeah, yes, you, you, you talk about all those contracts coming up. You don't want to overpay the guy and handcuff yourself. Uh, so, you know, Max Domi, unfortunately, as good as the season as he had last year, I really think trading him at this point, especially with the playoffs that he had, looks like the right way to go. I do want to point out Mackenzie Weger is going to be an RFA also, like Max Domi, so, he isn't, so they're going to have to negotiate a deal with him too. It's probably going to be, uh, I would expect, they'll be around similar cap numbers, the two of those players. But as you mentioned, like you, you don't really want to, to handcuff yourself with uh, a player who also thing with Max Domi is like you say he had a pretty bad year. I feel like this year, when you look at his whole career, is probably what you can expect from him. Because I feel like that, that 28 goal season last year in his first year with Montreal was the anomaly, especially looking back on it. Like I can I can pull up his hockey DB right now and look at his career stats uh because i remember he had like a couple nine goal years before he was traded to montreal yeah okay so rookie season 15 16 81 games 18 goals 34 assists for 52 points then nine goals in 59 games then nine goals in 82 games uh he did have a bunch of assists those years 29 then 36 but then he's traded to montreal puts up career highs across the board 28 44 72 points in 82 games then this past year 17, 27, 44. So you look at those numbers, you think maybe a low-end second liner? I don't know. It doesn't really, doesn't really stand out for me. And I feel like his value is still relatively high because he has that, that first-round pedigree. And, you know, he did recently score 28 goals. So a team paying up for that is probably, you know, within the realm of possibility. But I do want to say... I don't think Montreal's in the position anymore to just trade him for draft picks because not only do they have more draft picks than they know what to do with, 
but it's probably about time, especially if this return to play is an indication to set your sights on starting to build towards a Stanley Cup contender. And maybe by the time Caulfield and Romanov show up and really establish themselves, you're going to want to be making some deep runs into the playoffs. Yeah, 100%. And this is really my biggest takeaway from the you know this whole playing experience as a whole is, man, the Habs, I was worried about the future, but now it really does look like, you know, we're really building towards something. And before, you know, when the Habs were in 12th place and before this whole stoppage, it really felt like, you know, this whole thing was meandering and not, there was really, and Suzuki was obviously a bright spot, but yeah, Kakaniemi was a question mark. And so, you know, they're reemerging, uh, his resur- his like resurgence, I guess, if he ever had a surgence uh, in the first place for Kakaniemi, uh, very encouraging. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is where, you know, it really, you're really looking to ramp up. And if you're trading guys like Max Domi, draft picks are 100, they're, they're totally out the window because you're not in that draft stockpile stage of the rebuild anymore. And that's apparent from how they performed this this year. I mean, it's just, they look competent. That was the big thing. Uh, they obviously, they beat Pittsburgh, who was a bona fide playoff team uh, in the at that point in the season. And look, the, they didn't get embarrassed by Philadelphia. And that's, I think, a big relief in a way. Uh, and it's a major point of comfort. It's just, you know, if you look at any of the games, Philadelphia who was the number one seed, uh, really steamrolled all the, the top seeds during the round robin. And really everybody was like, Montreal is going to be the same. Philly's a juggernaut. They won't be able to stop them. And yeah, they took a couple games. They routed them in one. And each, each, of, the, uh, each of the games they lost, I mean, they were all one goal games, save for the 2 nothing game. And... All of them, I would say the Habs had a reasonable shot at taking them. And frankly, if you were you were to get me to redo my pick, I would honestly stand by the Montreal by seven pick. I think for vast swaths of not only the games that they won, but also the games that they lost, they were the markedly better team over Philadelphia. And it's just, that's what's encouraging. You know, the fact that they can stand in there with the juggernauts. Will they beat them most of the time? Probably not. Not yet. But the, the fact remains, it's very encouraging for the future for a team that is relatively young, mostly young, and therefore has so much room to improve. Uh, and not just the players that are on the roster, but obviously the guys that you mentioned, guys like Romanov, uh, Caulfield. And, you know, we have so many other prospects. I'm sure at least one or two of them will hit, make the NHL, make an impact. And so, yeah, going into the future, the next couple of years, uh, I am expecting, you know, development, really. Uh, and yeah, get into that playoff, you know, get into that playoff race. And, and then, you know, who knows, two, three, four, five years down the road, maybe we'll be finally looking at the Habs like they're, you know, a real Stanley Cup contender. Yeah. Um, some people a little bit worried maybe that we're, not not us specifically, but that people are overreacting to the this stretch of 10 games. And maybe it was just a hot stretch. And because we did say for months on end that this is not a playoff team, this is a mediocre team, and so on. But here's the thing. The main reason why I don't feel like we're overreacting is because the the young core, Suzuki Kakanyemi, did show so many tangible tr- strides over the time off. And because Carey Price shown showed how good he can be with rest. So those are two big, like, tangible building blocks to use going forward that it's not just like oh a high shooting percentage a bunch of lucky goals so i really feel like this return to play just these 10 games plus the one bad exhibition game i guess 
showed what Montreal is capable of doing moving forward. 100%. And I know it's a bit of an old man take, but, you know, you look at the eye test, and frankly, <laughs> they look electric, and, you know, especially the youngsters. And, you know, it was at that point, you know, this you talk about Carey Price, uh, he was rested, and for really the first time in a long time, when I when I saw you know Philly take a shot, if it wasn't deflected by Montreal, uh, you know you expected Price to make the save. You know, as a fan watching the game, uh, the expectation was that the the puck was not going to enter the net. When it came to the regular season, and I was watching Price, I wasn't surprised when he let in a goal. But now, you know, anytime Philly scored, I was like surprised. I was like, what happened? I want to see the replay. I can't believe they managed to beat Price. And yeah, that's fucking return to form and yeah you talked about it a bit earlier talking about the need to get this guy some rest i think that's one aside from you know the big youth emergence that's probably the the other huge takeaway is yeah you talked about mark bergevay needs to get a backup number one number probably the number one priority at this point because you saw how phenomenal price was once he got that rest yeah you you need to get that backup i think what he played 58 games this year i think was the number out of 70 or whatever just way too many. Uh, I mean, yeah, he was just overworked and and overworked for the last couple of years already. And maybe that explains his different performance. Who knows? But yeah, we saw resurgence in prime price this year. Uh, well, just in the playoff stretch. And I, I like you look at those kind of signs. I think absolutely they're building blocks. And when people say, yeah, small sample size, small sample size. Well, I really think that this kind of thing, Carey Price returning to form, and the development of the youngsters, I think the stuff is sustainable and I think it can carry over. And I think it's, yeah, absolutely the Habs can build on going forward. All right. So before we move on to the other series, uh, I want to look at this goaltending situation heading into to next year a little bit. Of course, Price is coming back, the number one. Then we've got Charlie Lindgren, who was, I guess, the backup at the end of the season, going into the last year of his contract, $750,000, not very expensive. Um, and we've also got Caden Primo still on his ELC. We've got Vasily Demchenko, who was signed out of Russia, kind of coming off an, coming off an off year, but he's got a pretty good track record in the KHL. Keith and Caden not coming back, of course. He's a UFA, and Michael McNeven is an RFA. I think that they're going to hold on to him. So that's Price, and that's four guys behind him, who should all be playing at least in the AHL. So I kind of have a hunch that Charlie Lindgren is not coming back. I think they're going to maybe try to find a trade partner for him, and I think they'll be able to. That's kind of just a guess. That's kind of just what what I would do, because as I mentioned before, I think Primo and Demchenko battling for the backup spot, I, I'm pretty comfortable with that. But if if Bergevin wants to bring in someone like I don't know, Corey Crawford's name was thrown around on a short deal because they have a bunch of cap space this season to be a you know super solid backup for Price. Then, now you've got, what do you have? You have Primo, Dubchenko, and McNeven all battling for playing time in with uh, the Laval Rocket. So either way you look at it, I think it's going to be pretty intense competition in the, in the Montreal and the Laval crease next season. Yeah, and that's what we like, right? Uh, it's just, I mean... Goaltending, uh, it's kind of a cliche, but it is kind of voodoo year in, year out, especially the guys, you know, uh, who are backups and who are AHL goalies. Uh, who knows? One of them, I'm sure if you, especially if you bring in a veteran guy, uh, who knows who it is, but uh, maybe Crawford, that'd be an exciting name, I got to say. 
Uh, and one of them is sure to pop off. I'm sure statistically, odds are somebody gets a good season. And yeah, Charlie Lindgren, his time's probably up here. I mean, he was a guy for most of his time here. Uh, and a solid guy, nothing special. And uh, average to below average backup goaltender. And yeah, guy is how I would describe Charlie Lindgren. And when it comes to the others, uh, Demchenko, bit of an unknown quantity there. Yeah, obviously coming in from the KHL. And so, yeah, we'll see how he is uh, when it comes to training camp. Who knows? Maybe he beats out Caden Primo. And I think Caden Primo is the front runner because he did get some playing time in the NHL. And I thought he did great. I thought he held up. And, I mean, look, he is... I think he's I think he's ready for some backup duty. I think this season, uh, you know, I think it was his first season in the AHL. Yeah, you just keep him in the AHL, develop his skills and whatnot, really focus on his development. But look, I think if he's got the talent at this point, you can't afford to keep him down, especially with the fact that Carey Price needs a backup. And if Caden Primo can be that competent backup, uh, if he's got the skills to pay the bills, I I would love to see him playing a bunch of games because the, the hope is right. The backup plays a bunch of them. And I mean, I think they can totally find the playing time for Caden Primo. If he proves to be capable. Yeah. Honestly though, I would rather a terrible backup goalie plays 30 games this uh, next season than to have Carey Price play 68. Like Carey Price getting rest has to be the priority more than I think I mentioned this before already. But honestly, if you have to sacrifice a couple regular season wins to make sure Price is still in top form, because you don't want him to, you know, be a terrible goalie by the time he is the sixth or seventh year of the contract. Yeah, exactly. That's the big thing, right? It's really asset management. It's not just about, okay, we want Kerry to be in peak form for this year. This guy's under contract for a long time. Uh, And yeah, you want to keep him in top form as long as possible. And wear and tear on a goalie is real, man. Especially once you get to the twilight of the career. And I think, yeah, vastly important. Not just for the sake of, you know, the current iteration of the Habs. But for future years, it's crucial that you don't overwork the guy. That you don't, you know, wear and tear uh, on Carey Price, minimize it as much as possible because yeah, you kind of handcuffed yourself with that huge contract, uh, and you you have to make sure that this guy's not falling off a cliff anytime soon. All right, so are you ready to move on to the other series of the first right. round? Let's go. So the second round actually started yesterday. Dallas beat Colorado five to three in Game One. I still think the Avalanche are going to win that one. But we're not, not going to talk about that series quite yet. We're going to recap the other series. We've already gone through Philadelphia-Montreal, of course. So now I guess we can go with Tampa Bay-Columbus. We last talked about that series when it was tied 1-1. And you you voiced a lot of concern. You thought maybe the, the Lightning were, were getting a little wobbly. But then they won three games in a row, including a very exciting comeback in Game 5 to win that series in five games, just as I predicted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they beat that mental hurdle. What can I say? Uh, just, yeah, I think it was a really significant block for this team uh, in terms of making it far. Just the fact that they had to overcome what happened last year when they were swept and the fact that they had to face Columbus in the first round again. Uh, I think it was, I think it was a significant test for them. Uh, bigger than really, if you look at this matchup, you know, on paper, uh, I don't really think it told the story of how, you know, how big of a challenge it was for Tampa. Uh, and look, Columbus is a team to, designed to push you uh, to overtime, just the way they're coached uh, with John Tortorella's defensive system. 
And yeah, you'll get these games where, you know, you'll get really frustrated. They'll keep you to the outside. They'll, you know, force you to for some easy shots on Jonas Corpusalo, who was playing fantastic. And yeah, so there was a lot of reason to, of concern in terms of will Tampa get frustrated and really shoot themselves in the foot. And yeah, after game two, I really thought they showed the resilience. They were the better team throughout the series. But, you know, they, they managed to overcome the goaltending of, uh, you know, the Corpusalo. And yeah, good for them. They were just the better team here. And it finally showed for Tampa in the playoffs. And yeah, I mean, Victor Hedman is probably the biggest question mark in terms of his availability uh, injury-wise going forward. But other than that, I'm confident in this team. They overcame the big hurdle. And really, that was the only red flag for me. Can they overcome the mental part in terms of beating Columbus after what happened last year? And the fact that they did, uh, I really like them in the East now. I do want to mention, before we move on to any other series, I went 6 for 8 in my round 1 picks. While you went 4 for 8, I think... Well, we'll get to what we said when we get to them. But I, I this was a pretty good bounce back for me. We didn't have the podcast last year. But last season, I was two for eight, which I think is my, my worst all time for round one predictions. So nice bounce back for me on that end. Um, I wanted to point out uh, Blake Coleman was very impressive in this series. Uh, still think they gave up way too much for him, but I wanted to shout him out because he certainly did stand out. Next up. We have, actually, we have uh, some news that came out about an hour ago. The Capitals fired Todd Reardon, their coach. Uh, I think it's the right move. Um, it was a mistake letting go of Barry Trotz after they won that Stanley Cup. So Todd Reardon probably wasn't going to live up to that. But even so, I think there are definitely better options available for Washington because they were terrible for the most part against uh, their old coach, Barry Trotz, and the New York Islanders who seem to be kind of flying right now. I know Washington had a comeback win in Game 4, but that was pretty much all they had in the tank. Backstrom came back from, for, for Game 5, but they couldn't win. The defense looked pretty shaky. Oftentimes, Braden Holpe looked extremely shaky. Once again, we'll mention, very interesting to see where he ends up next season, but it doesn't look like he'll be back in Washington, and I can't really blame them. In terms of filling that coaching vacancy, I mean, we talked about like there are three guys with great pedigrees available right now, Boudreaux, Laviolette, and Gallant. I don't think Washington's going to take Boudreaux back because he did coach them recently and uh, was fired. So I know sometimes coaches will circle back to the teams they've coached before. I think Gallant or Laviolette is probably where Washington's going to want to be heading. Yeah, it's apparent that the Capitals... They made a huge mistake by letting Barry Trotz go. He, re- I don't know why they tried to meddle with a good thing. And by a good thing, I mean a Stanley Cup winning thing. Uh, and the move was kind of questionable then. I guess they really believed in Reardon, but not anymore because uh, he's out the door. And yeah, so they didn't pony up, the, pony up the cash for Barry Trotz. They thought they were better off without him. And clearly he got his revenge. He got his uh, successor fired. And yeah, I, I, I mean, this team... This window is closing fast. Obviously, the team, the core is aging. You talk about Ovechkin uh, and, you know, Kuznetsov and Backstrom. They're getting up there in age. And so you need you need a guy. You need a guy behind the bench who's qualified. And so, yeah, you're talking about a, a potential, you know, Laviolette or Galantire. I mean, you, you tried to go with a cheaper option in Reardon. It failed. I think now's the time uh, to pony up the cash, get one of these big guns. Because, you know, if you want another cup, now's the time to do so before, you know, the, the, the core starts to to really dip off. And, you know, when it comes to the play, yeah, you talk about Holtby. Uh, 
was just bad, man. And then that was one of the biggest concerns I had with this Capitals team. It's just the goaltending. Samsonov was injured and really will be at a terrible season. Maybe he comes in clutch, uh, clutch playoff, hopefully they said, but really he didn't show up and he had some really bad goals to go along with his numbers. And on the other side, the Islanders, the defensive system, Barry Trotz, it worked 100%. Uh, Varlamov was fantastic. And yeah, I mean, the Capitals couldn't get it done. Uh, I mean, Ovechkin, he was fantastic. I think he scored four goals over the series. But other than that, really, he was the only bright spot for the for the team. Uh, I think, what, they scored like how many? Eight goals over the course of five games, and he scored half of them. Uh, and the other two, I think, were like Oshie and Kuznetsov. So talk about depth scoring, which is what really got them that cup in 2018. They had nothing going. They had nothing going beyond their top guys. And yeah, that and then their lackluster defense. It just, this team was not ready to go. And it showed. It showed. And the deserving team won here, despite being the underdogs. The other thing I want to mention in reference to Washington is one of the underwhelming players on their team, Ilya Kovalchuk, who Montreal recouped a third-round pick for, of course, uh, in the, I think it was the day before the trade deadline. And apparently there were lots of reports at the time that it was like all but a sure thing that Montreal was going to re-sign Kovalchuk in this, this offseason now and bring him back for a year. And I just want to say, I want to voice my stance on that. I don't really want that. Uh, Kovalchuk, he was great for a month in Montreal. And then we even said at the time, like he, he got cold leading into the deadline and that kind of shot his value a little bit. And he didn't really recover with Washington either right after the trade deadline or during this return to play. So I'm tempted to think that that hot stretch with Montreal was kind of just, you know, a blip on the radar, and that Kovalchuk really has kind of faded off near the end of his career. I know we talked about their need for scoring on the wings. I'd rather look at someone like Evgeny Dadanov, who is better, and yet he's going to be more expensive. But, I mean, they have the cap room, and if you want to make the playoffs, I would be much more comfortable taking, you know, someone like some Dadanov comes to mind, or I don't know. I uh, don't really want Mike Kaufman on the team. Uh, Taylor Hall, no thanks. That'll be too expensive. But someone around Dadanov's level instead of Kovalchuk, please. Yeah, uh, the Kovalchuk thing, it was nice when it was here. Uh, lots of fun. But look, old man who hot and cold. I don't like it. I don't want to put my confidence, you know, I don't want to put my eggs in that basket. Uh, we talk about the need for scoring wingers. Uh, when I say, how did you address the need for scoring winners? I don't want the answer to be old ass Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, it's just, no, that doesn't work. I would not be comfortable with that move whatsoever. And so, yeah, you get a guy uh, like Dadanov's level. I think that, I mean, that's an adequate fix for this team, which is not yet a Stanley Cup contender, hoping to make the playoffs. I think that's a solid addition. And really, you don't, you don't need to dump money into it. You don't need to go after a Taylor Hall. It's not that urgent of a problem. But, uh, it's, it's urgent enough that, like, I don't even know how old is 38, 39-year-old Ilya Kovalchuk just isn't enough. And frankly, I don't want him taking a roster spot uh, come whenever the next season begins. Looking at UFA winners, maybe Tyler Toffoli would be nice, except it kind of looks like Vancouver's going to want to keep him around. Anyway, moving on to the last series in the East, the one we both got wrong, Boston versus Carolina. The Boston Bruins did kind of as we speculated could very possibly happen. They returned to form. They started clicking. Yaroslav Halak won three games in a row after you said that, uh, that I don't know, you criticized him. You said they had no chance or something like that. You were incorrect. Not the first time. Uh, Boston wins in five games. Yeah, so uh, 
eating a lot of shit on this one for this series. Uh, just just wrong on so many fronts. Uh, yeah, you talk about Halak. Uh, I mean, he did well. He played well, and obviously he won those three games. He held down the fort. He wasn't spectacular. He held down the fort. Uh, he had a couple of disgusting goals. Uh, but other than that, he was fine, and he held up, and the Bruins, he, might, he got them to the win. And other than that, I mean, it's just, yeah, you talk about it. Uh, just the Bruins seem to find another level, and I don't know what it is, how they did it, but they just clicked. That round robin, they were atrocious. But from the minute the puck dropped in game one, completely different team. Uh, and yeah, they were here to play. It's just one of those things with the Bruins. I don't know what it is. Uh, they're just, they're not electric, but they're good. They're just really, really good. They're disciplined. They're smart and they capitalize on their opportunities. And that's what, that's why they were the best team in the NHL in the regular season. And that's why they managed to beat an electric team like Carolina. Uh, their first line, I know Pasternak was out for, I think, more than half the season. I think he was out for three games. But Marshan and Bergeron came out to play. I think they had 12 points combined. Uh, they were just fantastic. And and David Krejci, uh, for some reason, playoff David Krejci is now a phenomenon because not very good this season. Not very good this regular season, I would say. But fuck, he carried that second line way better than the Carolina second line, who, frankly, on paper, I thought, was, I thought would dominate. Uh, I thought, you know, second line down, for the Carolina Hurricanes, I thought that's where they would exploit the Bruins. But no. Uh, Krejci held down the fort. Uh, not Did better than held down the fort. He was fantastic. And uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look. When you point to reasons why Carolina might have lost. I think the Sveshnikov injury, I think it was in game two. Uh, I think game two was their only win. And they really found themselves that. And I think Sveshnikov getting injured. Uh, really threw a wrench in those plans. But, you know, EA top line winger. Uh, big loss. But look, Boston just outplayed them. Uh, I mean, yeah, I talked about Pasternak. He was out half the series as well. So I guess they kind of cancel each other out. And in game four, they blew that 2-0 lead heading into the third period. That's just the backbreaker. And at that point, when they blew that lead, you knew it was really over for the Hurricanes. Maybe they would have gotten one more game, but it just seemed like Boston outclassed them this time around. Yeah, I think when you talk about the difference between Boston and Carolina and why Boston is better is Boston loses Pasternak and they don't really miss a beat. Like Anders Bjork or Jack Studnika hops onto that top line and they just kind of keep rolling. Meanwhile, Carolina loses Andrei Svechnikov, their top line winger, and they don't they don't win another game. So I, I don't know exactly what that's a, a symptom of, but like I think it's kind of like a lot of teams have that problem where it seems like they aren't well built to sustain injuries. And Boston is. And Pittsburgh was for a long time. Of course, they always seem to to step up to the plate whenever one of their big guns went down. So that's a thing that you're going to kind of need to, to work on, I guess. Not quite sure how. If it's like, a, I don't know, need more of a system or whatever. Not really sure Not really sure how to fix that problem. But I think you see that with all the Stanley Cup contending teams. Yeah. And other things to address for Carolina, that goaltending situation really sticks out. Uh, both of them, Reimer and Mrazek, they have another season. They both each have one more season left. And so you're already committing $6.5 million. Uh, and this team is ready to contend for a cup. Uh, and I can't imagine how dis- disappointed they are to lose in the first round like this. But, uh, I mean, one of the major points, they just... I mean, they were fine. They were average. But that's not what you want if you're trying to win a cup. 
And it's like they couldn't even decide who their starter was. Was Mrazic injured at one point? I don't think so. I think they just swapped starters. Uh, and that's not a great sign. If you're swapping starters mid-series, it means it's not going well. Your goaltenders aren't really spectacular. They're looking for something special. And Carolina couldn't find it. Uh, I mean, I think, how's their cap situation looking? I'm not too sure. But yeah, as I said, uh, $6.5 million locked up in these two goalies next year. Uh, but they need help now on the goaltending front. And looking into the offseason, that's what I want to one big storyline. What's Carolina going to do? Are they going to be one of the players in, you know, we're talking about lots of UFA goaltenders. Are they going to be in those sweepstakes? I was going to mention, I think Carolina is one of the front runners, if not the front runner, to get Robin Leonard. And, I mean, look, they've got money coming off the books this summer. Joel Edmondson, Sammy Vatnin, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, all UFAs. And, honestly, they should be able to fill up all those slots within. Hamilton, Slavin, Shea, Gardner... Brett Pesci, all still under contract, along with Hayden Fleury's in RFA, and Jake Bean's probably ready to make the jump too. So that's a lot of money off the books, plus Justin Williams' Leagueman contract. And I think that you probably trade Reimer to a team that could use a backup goalie. And there certainly will be teams that could use a backup goalie, even if he's a little overpaid. And then you sign Leonard, because now you've got plenty of room for him, and you run Leonard and Mrazek, all of a sudden that team looks way scarier. 100%. Uh, you add Leonard to that team. Uh, we talked about stack decors. Man, that's that's a contender waiting. That's a real contender. If you add a star goaltender, and I think Robin Leonard has proven himself to really be uh, it, within the upper tier of NHL goaltenders, uh, that team, freaking dangerous. I guess we'll slide over to the Western Conference now. We had Vegas beat the Blackhawks in five. I don't think there's too much to dive into here. We, we expected Vegas to dominate. And that is what they did. Yeah, really not much to add. Uh, they were the better team throughout. Uh, just constantly, constantly in Chicago's, uh, Chicago zone. The only reason it was 4-1 and not 4-0. Corey Crawford stood on his head. You got to feel bad for the guys getting up there in age. Injury struggles, but he really played his heart out. He really played his heart out. He was spectacular, stole a game for them. Uh, but frankly, it wasn't enough because... You know, when you spend like 95% of the game in your own zone, you're not going to win any games. Uh, not not enough games to win a series, that's for sure. And yeah, looking forward, Vegas. Uh, dangerous, man. And and obviously, one of those two front runners in the West, I would say, between them and Colorado. Uh, just, they looked really good. They, they're they really clicking. And yeah, they play that possession game. That's their bread and butter. And they were, they're, they were doing it against Chicago. Uh, and so yeah, watch out. And this was really the expected result. Chicago encouraging it kind of similar to Montreal in the way that obviously they're both 12 seeds uh, and they got some encouraging looks from their youngsters, but uh, they were never going to win the series. Similar story with Colorado versus the Arizona Coyotes. You talk about domination, uh, man, Arizona, they won game three, mostly thanks to Darcy Kemper and Colorado said, Nope, we're not letting that happen again. And they won game four, seven to one. And then they won game five, Seven to one. So I think this is equally impressive on Colorado's part as it is uh, embarrassing for the Coyotes because you lose seven to one once as the underdog. All right, but to do it twice in a row, that's just like I don't know, stooping down to to a new new level. I guess I guess Darcy Kemper kind of lost a step, and then the Coyotes all fell apart. Uh, like he, you know, the backbone holding it together. And as soon as he's, we kind of mentioned that. Like as soon as he gets shaky, like the Coyotes basically have no hope. And, I mean, I feel like they had an injury in their forwards. I don't remember who. I don't think it was an important player or not an especially important player. 
Oh, well, I guess Nick Schmaltz was injured the whole time, but there was someone else. Anyway, so looking out ahead to next season for the Coyotes, like, do they bring back Taylor Hall? Maybe. They got their cap room to do it, and Taylor Hall kind of seems to like it there, but uh, they said on Saturday Headlines yesterday that winning is also going to be a priority for him. And to be totally honest, like, uh, I'm not sure the Coyotes are in such a great position to do that too, to do that soon. And they also mentioned something about how Oliver Ekman Larson's future might be in question, as in uh, he, he might be getting traded. He might wave his no-move gloves to go somewhere else. And, I mean, he's the, the best defenseman on the Coyotes, but if I'm another team acquiring that $8 million for another six or seven years, and man, I don't know, there, are, there might be some better options out there. Yeah, so Oliver Ekman Larson, that, that contract, right? That's the big thing. Uh, so if I'm... I think his price is low, his value is lowered. The fact that he seems to want to leave, uh, maybe a team can get it for cheap, but on the cap front, it's not going to be cheap no matter what. Uh, and yeah, back to the series, it was just this Arizona team's not very good at all. I mean, they managed to beat Nashville. Nashville wasn't clicking, and that, that, that was about it. Uh, and Darcy Kemper stole that series. They were not the better team against Nashville. Darcy Kemper was the better team against Nashville, and Arizona just huge mismatch against Colorado and this was the kind of result that I didn't want to see from Montreal against Philadelphia and I'm glad that didn't happen uh completely run off the ice in the last two games totally embarrassing uh you gotta imagine demoralizing for the team uh and they couldn't stop Colorado's attack they couldn't generate any offense on their own uh Taylor Hall two points throughout the series Phil Kessel atrocious season had nothing going for him zero points uh throughout the five games and when it comes to Colorado you know the big gums came to shine, especially Nathan McKinnon. Uh, there were some rumors about him being the best player on earth right now. Completely ridiculous if you ask me, Connor McDavid, 100 times out of 100. But uh, he is on fire on another level. Uh, Kale McCarr, the backbone of that defense. And Nazem Kadri, uh, big name, scoring big goals. And look, that trade, we talked, you know, Tyson Berry was a complete failure for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Alex Kerfoot is nothing special. Meanwhile, Kadri, who was traded for, you know, his playoff performance and getting suspended in them uh, with the Leafs, uh, really seems to be shining in his opportunity with Colorado. And uh, yeah, the Leafs got to be kicking themselves for that trade because that's exactly what they could have needed. And yeah, Colorado just just lights out from them. I'm really rooting for the Avalanche against the Stars. We're not, not going to get to round two yet, but a, a Colorado-Vegas conference final, that's what I really want. And that's what the average fan seems to be pulling for. And speaking of, I guess... The Dallas Stars, which I guess I didn't really mention them, but they're playing Colorado now. Uh, they beat the Flames. We both predict that they wouldn't. We both got that series wrong, but we were both kind of on the fence about it. And we also said that this would be a boring series, and there were a couple boring games in there. But for the most part, uh, a lot of action. Game 2 was super exciting. We mentioned that last time. Uh, they had another high-scoring overtime game. And then, of course, Game 6, Colorado got... Uh, sorry, not Colorado. Calgary got out to an early 3-0 lead. Looking like we were heading towards a Game 7. Dallas Storm's back. Seven unanswered goals. Four of them by Denis Gurianov. And the Dallas Stars, who actually Ben Bishop was unfit to play. Anton Hudobin played five out of the six games in the series. Are moving on to the next round. They've already moved on to the next round. And they've already got a serious lead in the next round. Yeah. So, first of all, that Game 6. Uh, holy shit. What a collapse. I mean, coming out the 3-0 lead... Uh, I mean, you got to think you're about to win the game at that point. And I think Calgary, their players did too. Uh, on the ice, they just kind of relaxed despite being a, a, an elimination game. And yeah, they got completely wrecked uh, for the 
last, you know, two-thirds of the game there, seven straight goals speaks for itself. But that's the thing. Calgary, number-wise, look at the stat sheet. They outshot the Stars. It's just, I think, I don't know what it was. It was just the, maybe the goaltending. And that's a big question mark for me as well. Uh, Cam Talbot was solid. He was good throughout. Uh, and, you know, coughed it up. And then I don't know why they went with a goalie switch. I guess, you know, you give up three goals in a row. That's the that's the move to make. But Dave Riddich, I why would you put him out there in your elimination game? I mean, hmm, he hasn't played since the exhibition game. And he just was terrible. He was freaking bad. And so, yeah, just that one game was really ugly for Calgary. But other than that as a whole, I noticed that their top six just... They couldn't get really get much production from them. Uh, when it comes to when it came to scoring goals, it really was you know they're death players, uh, and that's great. Death player, death scoring can get you far in the playoffs, but only if your top guys are performing. Uh, and theirs weren't. You know, Lindholm, Gaudreau, Kachuk was injured for a long time there uh, for most of the series. I'm pretty sure he got he got knocked in game two, and so yeah, just the big guns couldn't get rolling for Calgary. Uh, and that's the storyline here moving forward. Carrig is an interesting team. Disappointment year after year after year after year. And what do they do going forward after another one? Another first round exit. Uh, just an ugly situation there. Yeah, a lot of question marks in Calgary. Goaltending, big one. Pretty sure Cam Talbot's a UFA. So you either get someone new or David Riddick is now your starter. Uh, not, not, I don't love either one of those options. A ton of UFA defensemen too. Brody, Hamannick, Gustafson. Forbert, uh, all of the new deals. I, I think Calgary is going to try and hold on to at least two of them, but might not be easy, especially if you want to keep Brody. might be kind of expensive. And as you mentioned, those top guys just, uh, you know, haven't been top guys. And I think there's been some like, oh, is Johnny Goodrow? Is he going to get traded? I'd be surprised, but mm, maybe I wouldn't be too surprised. Maybe uh, he just hasn't been able to perform when you need him most, another old old man sounding take. But like, if he if you're you're gonna pay him like a top gun, he doesn't perform. Then maybe you gotta try shaking things up a bit. And in terms of Dallas, uh, I mean Haskinen and Klingberg, those are the two guys who really drive the bus for them now. Those two defensemen, especially Klingberg. I don't think they'll make the Stanley Cup Finals, but the uh, it kind of reminds me of Nashville from 2017, where everything, including the offense, really comes from the back end. Uh, Pavelski's really stepped up. We thought maybe he was kind of washed up this season, but he's really found a new gear after this long time off. Durianov, of course, has been great. I was talking about how, like, Sagan Ben Radulov, that top line, hasn't really been doing much, but then they kind of broke out in game one against the Avalanche, scored a couple goals, kind of led that team to victory. So it looks like Dallas kind of heating up, firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And if I'm Colorado, that worries me. Uh, I know they weren't happy with the way they played. I know we're moving a bit into the second round here. Uh, we'll pull back for that last series, Vancouver-St. Louis, in a bit. But, yeah, that 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 was the big thing. That first line of Ben Sagan Radulov didn't score much against Calgary, and that was the big question mark. And, yeah, you said it. The, the defense really drove the bus and the depth scoring. Uh, and, and, and guys like Gurianov, who broke out this series. And so, yeah, the, can they get it rolling? Well, if game one is an indication, they can. And Colorado really needs to nip this in the bud. Uh, I think they're the better team here, but uh, it's it's a real big concern if Dallas's big guns get rolling, uh, especially with the way the rest of the roster is playing. Mm-hmm. Last series, as you just said, Vancouver versus St. Louis. I got this one right. You got this one wrong, and I think many people did because St. Louis was the favorite, 
and Vancouver won anyway in six games. They had a 2-0 series lead, they lost game three and four, then they won game five, they won game six. We talked about how St. Louis was the deeper team, and they needed to make up the difference with their depth. Uh, it kind of ended up working out the other way, because as Vancouver, their top guns, uh, well, they didn't really, you know, slow down much, but they slowed down a little bit near the end of the series. They weren't scoring like three goals every game. And the depth guys started chipping in. Tyler Mott had four goals in the last two games. Jay Beagle had a goal. I think Antoine Roussel had a goal. So those those bottom two lines for Vancouver started producing offense. And they did it at the perfect time, right? When Pedersen, Besser, Hughes started slowing down ever so slightly. Uh, they stepped up at the right time. A lot of people super excited about the Canucks. A lot of people hopping on that bandwagon. Uh, I don't really hop on bandwagons too often, I guess. Uh, so I'm not inclined to do the same thing with Vancouver. Then, of course, there's the whole Canada's team narrative, which is just absolutely nonsensical. But good for the Canucks. Uh, happy for them that they that they won. And got to say, not too upset to see the Blues out. Never one of my favorite teams. George, Jordan Bennington was awful. Jake Allen was pretty good, but they decided to go back to Bennington anyway and ended up being the wrong choice. Yeah, and so the Blues, I really felt they disappointed. Uh, they obviously won the Cup last year. Had a great regular season, but they weren't very good. Uh, and you talk about, you know, exploiting the depth. Their depth didn't really show. Uh, the O'Reilly line was probably the big, you know, their one big, you know, shining point, I guess. Uh, they were dominant when they were on the ice, especially in, especially in game three and four when they came back from that 2 nothing deficit in the series. Uh, and that's what really drove them. But, you know, credit to Vancouver. After those two games where they lost, they found a way to mitigate the effect of that line. And is this a coaching thing? Do we have to give Travis Green some credit? I think so. Uh, you know, uh, finding a way to shut down the opponent's top line is is a big coaching factor thing. And uh, he found a way. And I know he was interviewed. He's about like he, he was he was asked about, it and he's like, yeah, I'm not gonna give my secrets away. So he seemed to be having something uh, cooked up there. And yeah, so the Blues just weren't clicking. And and when I talked about Boston, uh, one of those teams that you know I can't really qualify it in terms of. I don't know what really makes them tick. They just tick. They're just good. Uh, and the Blues, I felt like, were one of those teams uh, last year and during the regular season. And even games three and four, when I was watching them, I was like, you know, this team, when they're really going, they're just good. I don't Like, they're not, like, speedy or anything like that. They're just good. They're disciplined. They, they, they take advantage of their opportunities. But in games one and two, in games five and six, they just weren't very good. And I don't know what... What makes it click, but it wasn't clicking in those games. And yeah, I talk about the goaltending. I mean, oh boy, Jordan Bennington, what a collapse. Uh, it wasn't just his numbers. Those a lot of those goals that he gave up, just he should have had them. They were just bad goals outright. And the fact that he went back to they went back to him from Jake Allen, bit of a head scratcher. Jake Allen gave up like one bad goal in game five. And but other than that, I think his save percentage was decent. He looked solid out there. Uh, and he won those two games for them. Uh, games three and four, he was in net. And yeah, that's a real head scratcher for me. Craig Berube, I think he might've gotten out coached in this one, uh, especially the way Travis Green was. Uh, and just going back to Bennington and the way he collapsed in game six as well, just head scratcher there because Jake Allen, uh, as much as he gets roasted for being, you know, a pretty bad goaltender, he was holding solid this series and yep. moving away from him. I don't think it was the right call. It wasn't the right call. Yeah, it wasn't. Meanwhile, Markstrom was like the Canucks MVP pretty much during that series. He was fantastic. And I want to point out, uh, so a couple of years ago, I think it was 2017 in the playoffs, it was interesting because they said 
there were no game sevens in the first round. And the year before that, I think it was 2016, there were no sweeps. So those are two interesting things. This year in the first round, no game sevens and no sweeps. All the series ended in game five or game six. And I don't know when the last time was that happened, but I'm not even sure if it's ever happened before. I mean, probably has at some point, but it's probably been a pretty long time. Anyway, so I guess we can now kind of preview round two. Not as many series to discuss, of course. Dallas, Colorado, the one that's already started. Game one didn't go exactly how I would have expected it did. I would have picked the Avalanche, and I probably would have picked them in like five or six games. Now that Dallas has won game one, tempted to go seven for Colorado because I still think they're going to pull through. Still think they might win the Stanley Cup. An interesting thing about these round two matchups is that even despite this conference format that the NHL has gone with in the return to play, all these round two series ended up with to be a team playing a team within their own division. So looking similarly to how it would have been a normal year, Colorado-Dallas, both in the Central, Vancouver-Vegas, both Pacific teams, Philly and the Islanders, both Metropolitan, and Boston and Tampa Bay, both in the Atlantic Division. And I guess we'll talk about this when we get to the East, but man, I get that round-robin thing kind of, you know, doesn't look too good right now that Boston and Tampa, the top two teams in the East, are playing each other in the second round. Again, just like Pittsburgh and Washington did a couple years in a row, even though they should have been meeting in the third round. Yeah, and this is what I feared when I talked when I really went hard at the round robin. Uh, you'll get nonsense results, and this is a nonsense result, to be totally honest. Uh, Boston-Tampa, not just the two best teams in the East, two best teams among the two best teams in the league, really. Uh, just It doesn't, no, it just doesn't work uh, to have them in the second round like this. Uh, and that's why one of the main reasons I didn't like that divisional format and the fact that it's happening here because, and solely because of that, you know, that blip, which is, which was the round Robin series, uh, just it's disgraceful, you know, it just, it doesn't sit right with me. It never sat right with me that Boston, despite looking like dog shit, like lost their 11 point lead due to three games coming out of a long break. Uh, it just no thank you. And, uh, it's just, Yeah. It doesn't sit right with me, and I don't like it, and Boston-Tampa should be the third round. Uh, any thoughts on Dallas-Colorado? Oh, yeah, Dallas-Colorado. Uh, mm, man, that first game really gives me con- some, some concern, but, you know, it's just one game. And, yeah, I think Colorado top to bottom is a better team here. Uh, Dallas's first line really clicking does give cause for concern, as you said. Now, their whole, as I said earlier, their roster really seems to come together in terms of, you know, production, but... Colorado's roster has already come together in terms of production. And just on paper, the talent is better there. Uh, so, yeah, initially, as you said, I, I had the exact same take here. Five or six probably would be the right call, but now I'm leaning six or seven because Dallas won the first one. But, uh, yeah, I think six. I think six for Colorado. Uh, I just think, you know, they Colorado wasn't really ready to play in the game one. And, and I think uh, this really knocks them back into gear. I think they'll be dominant throughout Colorado in six. Uh, Vancouver and Vegas, um, two teams on a hot streak. I guess most teams at this point in the playoffs are playing pretty well, considering they just won a series. But I'm picking the Golden Knights in this one. Don't have to think too hard about it, even though Vancouver is coming off a, a very good series. I think Vegas, I still think they're deeper. I'm, I'm not 100% sold that Vancouver's bottom six is so fantastic just because they had a couple hot games. Uh, this is going to be very interesting. One storyline to watch is uh, kind of the, the battle of the two pending UFA Swedish goalies, Leonard and Markstrom, without question, the two best goalies that are going to be on the market this summer. 
And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they go head to head, both obviously playing extremely well as of late. Yeah. Uh, th- did you say how many games you were going to, you're going to take Vegas in? Oh, no, I did not. Um, I think I'll go with six. Six. Okay. All right. Uh, so yeah, this one's this series. I mean, Vancouver. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of hype around them. And I think, I think it's right to a degree. I don't, I think I agree with you on the fact that I think they're a bit, maybe overrated a bit at this point, but you know, their roster's rolling. Uh, and it's, it's a couple games. I do think, however, Vegas is just so dominant, uh, against Chicago. I know there are worse teams than Vancouver, but look, I think it carries over. Vegas is clicking and I think they, they have the, the capability. I think they can figure out how to shut down, uh, maybe not shut down, but at least significantly slow down, uh, Vancouver's top players. Uh, and just the style that they play, you know, possession, possession, uh, is Vegas' style and they go hard on the four check. And I think that can give Vancouver some problems, uh, especially when it comes to their depth, uh, especially, you know, their defense. Uh, we talked about it when we were doing our preview for the last series, uh, Vancouver's the the bottom four for Vancouver's defense uh, really gives some cause for concern. They didn't really shit the bed against uh, St. Louis, but maybe against Vegas. I'm just saying uh, Vegas looks really good and dominant. But you know, I think this one might go seven. This one might go seven. Uh, I think Vancouver, the way Markstrom was playing, you said it earlier, he's been spectacular, and I think he steals a bunch of games for them uh, because this roster is clicking. But I think Vegas ends up winning. Vegas in seven. Uh, moving over to the East. We've got the Islanders and the Flyers. And, I mean, for all the talk we had heading into the Montreal series about how the Flyers might be a Stanley Cup contender, maybe one of the favorites, man, they didn't really look the part against the Canadians. I know the Canadians played pretty well, but the, the Flyers, I don't know, seemed like they. I was expecting more from them. Meanwhile, as we mentioned, the Islanders kind of killed Washington. So I'm very tempted to go with the, the hot hand right now and pick the underdog, New York Islanders to make it to the conference finals for the first time since I don't even know when, maybe the eighties or early nineties. And uh, that, that's kind of just the way I feel. I know some people are saying like, um, picking the Islanders kind of recency bias. I get dumb decisions, said something like that, but like recency bias, I feel like that's more when you're evaluating a player's value overall, like not really predicting a playoff series, like recency bias. You should probably take that into account when you're predicting who's going to win a best of seven. Yeah. Um, so what would you say? The Islanders in how many games? Seven? Oh yeah, I forgot the amount of games again. Uh hmm. I'll go I'll go with six again. I'll go with six again for this one, just like with Vegas. Okay, this one's this one's tough. I this is probably the hardest one for me in terms of picking a winner. Uh it's just I don't know who to pick. Uh yeah, so as you said, Philly. Uh ex- coming into the series against Montreal, I thought they would keep up how they played in the round robin, you know, nonstop, go, 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 absolutely relentless on the puck. And they didn't. It just stopped for some reason. Uh, I talked about Boston, how at the drop of the puck in game one, a uh, completely different team. I felt like Philly was the same, but in the wrong direction. Uh, they just, I don't know, they, they were solid. They were a good team. They were a playoff team, but they were not spectacular. They were not the juggernaut that they kind of seemed like they were in the round robin. And yeah, they scored some goals. They got a bunch of puck luck against Montreal. And then they sat back on those leads and played the, the defensive system. And, you know, if there's a team that can do that, but even better in the defensive zone, it's New York. And so, yeah, in that sense, those these two teams are kind of similar. Uh, Philly has the more scoring talent, though. So I'm tempted, you know, to take Philly. I, 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 can, I can totally foresee them 
you know, doing the old thing against Montreal four times in four times in seven games, where they just score an early goal and sit back on sit back defensively, play the neutral zone, neutral zone sap all game. I think underratedly or maybe not, I think this series might be really really boring. Uh, there just might not be many goals to be scored. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, I'm really tempted to take New York, but. I think we need some differentiation between our two picks. I know it's only four series, but uh, we need something to, to to fight about. So I'll take Philly, and and very reluctant, reluctantly, I didn't like what they what I saw uh, from an evaluation standpoint against Montreal. But why not Philly in seven? All right. Uh, the main reason I think also that I went with the Islanders is because they seem to be getting a lot of scoring from all four of their lines. Like Andrews Lee scored a couple, Eberle scored a couple. And I think like on like ten of their forwards, I think got to have have a goal so far in the playoffs, which is pretty impressive. Meanwhile, uh, Giroux Couturier didn't score against Montreal. Konechny, I don't think he got a goal either against Montreal. Voracek scored a bunch, but the Flyers' top guys kind of seem to have gone a little cold. So that's another reason I'm leaning towards New York in this one. Yeah, I just I'm not getting great vibes from Philadelphia. I mean, even the, even defensively, the way Montreal exploited them sometimes. Uh, the fact that the Islanders are rolling in terms of scoring on all their four lines, it does give me cause for concern. Uh, and yeah, so I totally wouldn't be surprised to see the Islanders take this one. Last series in round two, the one I'm most looking forward to, Tampa Bay versus Boston. Um, I do think that whoever wins this series will make the Stanley Cup final. I think either one would beat the Islanders or Flyers relatively handily. And this is a pretty hard one for me to predict because we did talk about how, like, you know, Boston did just hit their stride kind of against the Hurricanes and they've got this whole next man up situation going but the Lightning kind of kind of a similar story because they haven't had Steven Stamkos this whole time I don't know if he's going to be back anytime soon but even if he isn't I'm pretty confident in them the way they fought back against Columbus won three in a row uh, just like the Bruins so these are two maybe the best teams in the NHL both looking pretty good going going head to head they played each other in round two in 2018 also Tampa Bay won that one, and I think it was I think it was only in five games. I'm gonna pick the Lightning again, and this one I think will go seven. However, and man, th- that wasn't an easy pick. I thought about my picks before, but this is the one I went back and forth on the most. I I'm going with the Lightning. Okay, uh, maybe I'll be uh, maybe I'll have to eat my words in a couple weeks yet again. But I'm picking against Boston. Uh, I'm picking Tampa Bay. Uh, I just think. Yeah, I, I don't know what it, what's the deal with Boston, and I can't really put the words to it, but they really got it going. But the fact that I can't put the words to it means I don't really believe in it. And uh, Tampa Smart. Bay, uh, just the talent on paper, off the charts, uh, on paper probably the best team in the NHL in terms of talent. Uh, and yeah, that, that Boston round robin series, was it a fluke? Was it caught from concern? I still can't tell, to be totally honest. And Tampa Bay, they overcame their hurdle. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I don't know. I Yet again, they still gave me shaky vibes, though. I don't know why, though. Maybe, yeah, you know, it's just the fact that Columbus shut them down because they're just so good offensively. I wouldn't say Boston is the same. And so, yeah, I think Tampa does it. Uh, the big question for me is Hedman. Uh, is he able to stay healthy the entire time? I know he's a bit banged up. And so, key to the series, he needs to stay healthy for Tampa Bay. But uh, I, think, I think Tampa Bay takes this one. And I'll say six. I don't think it's going seven. This is a big series, though. And yeah, I'm... Yeah, I, I'm ready for the Boston fans to come after me if they end up winning that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so game one of that series is tonight, just like game one of Vegas-Vancouver. Before we move on to this week's trivia segment, two things I want to mention. 
first one, we were talking about the Washington Capitals goalie situation a little earlier. They signed a goalie the other day, Zach Fucali. Recent, uh, not recent at all, actually. Former is what I meant to say. Traffic of the Montreal Canadiens. He was looking like a highly touted prospect. Didn't quite pan out. Nice to see him still get a, a two-way contract. He played with the Syracuse Crunch this past season. Now he's going to probably play next season with the Hershey Bears. Shout out to Zach Vicali. Next thing, want to address this Mike Milbury situation. We've dunked on him lots recently. And he has been let go at NBC. And the cited reason was the misogynistic comments during, I don't remember during which game, but he basically, you probably heard by now, he said something in the vein of how the players in the bubble are, don't have any women there to distract them, which along with being untrue, because there are plenty of women in the bubble who are essential to making the NHL run smoothly during this return to play, is also extremely misogynistic and degrading. So good riddance to Mike Milbury. Uh, I guess kind of a similar situation to Don Cherry. Good to see these these um, these NHL broadcasters kind of slowly but surely getting rid of all the scum. Yeah. Uh, part of the 200 hockey man, but Mike Milbury, Jesus Christ. Uh, even before this incident, he was on a, we were, we were ducking on him pretty hard, as he said. Uh, he was on a heater of stupid shit that he was saying on the air. Uh, and this just took it to another level. It wasn't even funny at this point. It was just uh, completely inappropriate. Uh, I mean, look, this, this this kind of stuff doesn't belong in hockey. And I think collectively we're all trying to, you know, yeah, as you said, just kind of getting rid of the scum. Uh, and yeah, this is this is one of the steps. He And what concerns me, uh, probably the, the most concerning thing, I'm not surprised that this kind of thing uh, eventually made its way onto the air. It's pervasive, but that's the that's what concerns me. The fact that it's still per- so pervasive. Uh, the fact that nobody really, none of his uh, his coworkers on the on the broadcast corrected him in the moment. They just all kind of you know nodded and chuckled, I guess. Uh, and nobody really objected. Uh, he didn't seem to find what he said was wrong in the moment at all. He just apologized the day after after he got into some hot water over it. And yeah, this kind of thing is unacceptable. And, you know, it's all part of the movement of just trying to weed out all these garbage views that have become normalized in hockey uh, as part of, you know, quote unquote hockey culture. Uh, And yeah, hopefully people can smarten up, uh, use him as a lesson, uh, fix your views, people, because uh, it just that kind of stuff is uh, it's gross and it doesn't belong in this uh, on the air or, or anywhere at all, really. Yep. All right. Uh, I don't want to run quite as long as we did last week. So you have a trivia for me this week. Are we ready to jump right into that? All right, let's go. Uh, so the format is pretty simple. I have uh, I have 10 questions, and you just have to give me the answer. Uh, and the theme, because we did mention, uh, it is our 50th episode. And so it's kind of a throwback to those 50 episodes. Uh, and I'm just going to see how much you remember about what we talked about. Uh, over the cloud course of, uh, yeah, almost a year now. Oh, man. Nine months. Or nine months. Very okay, clever. So, yeah, so what do we uh, what do we put the bar out? I have 10 questions here. I, I don't know what these questions are, like what they're like, so I, I have no idea what the bar should be. Okay. They're just like, they're various trivia questions. I don't know how to describe it, really. Okay. okay uh, should we go with so, seven? Seven seems sure, like a seven, normal bar to have. Yeah, seven seems like to be our thing. All right. Okay. Shall we? Sure. Um, they're just the things that we've talked about uh, over the course and nothing too, too specific, I don't think. All right. Here we go. Okay. Uh, so, 
All right. So one one thing. First question. So we've talked about, you know, Seattle Kraken, new expansion team. And we actually have an episode titled Kraken, uh, just Kraken. In what month was that episode aired? Okay, I remember this kind of because I was thinking of like the episode after that name was confirmed. I was thinking, oh, maybe we'll name it Kraken. Then I realized, wait, no, like the first time the name Kraken was ever mentioned, I named the episode Kraken. So it wasn't like when the expansion name was. So it wasn't like July, but I don't remember when it was. Uh, Oh, man. Was it? Because the first time the name was mentioned might have been like super early. I don't I'm thinking like maybe November, but like was it that long ago? I feel like it was like kind of an early episode. Or December, maybe. Uh, I'll say, I'll guess November. Okay. Uh, well, you got the fact right that it wasn't like last month when they announced it. Uh, but it was later than that. It was considerably later than that. Uh, that episode aired in February. It was a February 2nd episode titled Kraken. Huh. Where uh, I could say uh, we're, you know, bang on uh, episode title given uh, how they actually ended up, that ended up being the title uh, of the team. Good stuff. Okay. All right. Oh, for one. This oh, might be for hard. one. Rough start. Uh, maybe we'll need to lower the bar later on. Okay. So, what is the name uh, of our first episode that was not the pilot? Oh, oh. Uh, was it? Was that one? I think this would be the second or third one. Overreaction Sunday. That's right. That's okay. spot on. That was the. Uh, there we go. Title of our second episode. And honestly, you could probably tag that title onto any of our episodes. Uh, especially <laughs> given my flaming takes. Um, so yeah, overreaction Sunday. Uh, I don't, I don't remember what the Sunday part was about. We spelled it like ice cream Sunday, but uh, yeah, funny, yeah. fun pun there. All right, I, I suppose. Okay, all right. So one of our title, another one of our titles was Italian spices. Uh, so they were referring to two people in particular. Who were the Italian spices? Oh man. Okay, right when you said Italian spices, I immediately remembered. Wow, that's about two people. But now I don't remember who the people are. Oh, okay. Uh, wow, this one's really bothering me. I should I should remember this one. Were they two players, like, with Italian-sounding names? I don't think so. Were they, like, coaches or... Man. Ah, this, is, this is really annoying. Because I don't want to just guess and know I'm wrong. But on the other hand, like... How long is it going to take me to come up with the right answer? I don't know. Uh, do I have a time limit or something? Not really. You can go as long as you like. Okay, can I get a hint? Like, are they active NHLers? Um, define that. that? Can we define uh, active NHLer? Uh, active NHLers, as in, as in they played an NHL game this past season. I'm going to say no. No, you sound like you're not confident. Never mind. Uh, okay. Wait, are they as in both? Or okay, one of them is an active NHLer. Okay, okay, one of them is one of them isn't. All right, I don't know. I don't know. I'll I'll just I'll right. yield this question. Okay, so uh, it referred to a trade that the the Habs made with the Penguins. Uh, oh, Vlad and, oh, and Lucini. Vlad and Lucini are two oh, Italian okay. spices. Immediately. Uh, yeah, just like oh. that, man. Okay, that, that was a trade, and we traded away with Riley Barber and uh, and Phil Veroni. Phil Veroni, Landisi, and Lucini. 
wow. Just like that. All he needed was the fact that it was a trade. All and, I uh, needed. He pulled it up. Oof. Okay. All right. Hmm. What do I do next? Okay. Uh, all right. At one point earlier in the season, uh, we named an episode after this. There was a player who played for 30 minutes, three games in a row, and we thought that was pretty incredible. So incredible that we named the episode after this fact. Who was this player? Uh, was it Thomas Shabbat? No, it wasn't Thomas Shabbat. Uh, it was Workhorse colon Eggs Benny. Ben Sherratt. Uh, ben yep. Sherratt. Thomas oh, Shabbat kind of sounds like Ben Sherratt. Uh, but uh, damn, off to a pretty pretty miserable start, I got to say. One yeah, for four. Wow, this is rough. Oof. This is, I guess I should have studied my own podcast history a little more. Yeah, maybe you should listen to yeah, get used to the sound of your own voice. I know you already do it. I'm not used to it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, study time. Uh, so next up, uh, we had an emergency episode at one point. It was the Taylor Hall trade. Uh, name the Taylor tra- Taylor Hall trade. Name every single piece that was part of it. Okay, okay. I think I should be able to get this one. Uh, New Jersey trades Taylor Hall and Blake Spears to Arizona for Nick Merkley, Kevin Ball, Nate Schnarr, a first round pick. Was there another draft pick? Oh man. Uh, and uh, I think there was like and a third round pick. I think that oh. that was it. And he it? nails it at the buzzer. Good stuff. Yes. All uh, right. It was it was a conditional third, but we'll give it the anyways because uh, it's probably going to end up being a third. I think Arizona didn't win a playoff round, and Taylor Hall is probably not going to resign there. So uh, that's a no on both counts. So it's probably going to be a third round pick. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, on everyone, pretty good. And we're making our way back. Okay. All right. So, we had an all-star game episode uh, because there really wasn't much to talk about back then. Uh, no playoff hockey. And uh, so, who? somebody wore a mask of somebody uh, and it was pretty prominent. And it was like a big meme in the hockey world. So, yeah. And I'll tell you, it was in, uh, it was in the shootout competition. Uh, who wore a who mask at the all-star game? What? I... Uh, ooh, okay. Okay, it's kind of starting to come back to me a little bit. So it was a goalie who wore a mask with another person on it. I feel like it was another goalie on their mask. Uh, did we, are you sure we talked about this during the episode? Look, I didn't listen to the episodes. I just read through the descriptions. So that's how you know. It was so significant that you decided to write in the description. And so that's where we're at. Wow, it was really that important. All right, I'm yeah. trying to think back. What goalies were in the All-Star game? Price was there. Don't think it was him. Uh, I don't even remember. Like, was Rask there? Vasilevsky? I don't know. Tristan Jari was there. Nothing comes to mind. Uh, Markstrom? I don't. I don't know, man. I can't remember. I can't remember. I. 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 I this is way too hard. I, I right. don't know the answer to this question. Okay. All right. This was a toughie. Uh, it was Thomas Hurdle. Because uh, you wore a Justin Bieber mask when he was shooting on uh, Jordan Pennington. Okay, now that you mention it, I remember, but I never would have thought of that. Okay. It even took me a minute when you said hurdle. Like I didn't remember, like, oh, yeah, I suppose I re- recall, but very unimportant event to me. Of course. All right. That's true. It's, it, I wouldn't have remembered it. But, you know, I thought you would do better at this point, so I needed one to, like, really trip you up, slow you down, uh, and get you down to that seven. But, uh... All right, all right. Um, we did... We, mm, okay, all right. Uh, next one. Uh, this one's quiz-related, because uh, this was okay. a quiz okay. question at one point. Uh, it was the mascot quiz. And uh, I think we had a good laugh about this one. 
Uh, name one of the Florida Panthers mascots. Uh, Victor E. Rat. There we go. Was... All right. There we go. <laughs> classic. Absolutely yeah. classic. Not to be confused with Victor E. Green. Victor E. Green. Uh, noted Dallas Stars mascot. Uh, yeah. And the other mascot is Stanley C. Panther. Uh, just fucking <laughs> yeah. remarkable. Remarkable on Florida's part. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Another real throwback to near the beginning. Uh, we had a, we had a whole bit about uh, you know Keith Kincaid, and the most we talked about him was when he talked about his whole emoji tweets. Uh, and you know Eggs Benny was obviously the classic one, but uh, who was the uh, hand emoji with pen? Who was he referring to? Uh, the hand emoji with the pen. Okay, I can picture the emoji. I can remember remembering it. Uh, something about writing or. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to go through the players on the... Okay, Tatar, no. Gallagher, no. Dano, no. Suzuki, no. Suzuki was like the car. Uh, is it a player who's not on the team anymore? Uh, it wasn't... Okay, it wasn't like Thompson or Cousins or... Uh, um, um, okay, I'm not going to... There might be some dead air here because I'm going to be thinking... Okay, I'm not going to give up on this one. I'm going to at least come up with a guess that I'm confident in. Uh, all right, do you want to speak while I think? Uh, I'm not sure what I'll talk about, but sure. Uh, just some commentary here to fill the dead air time. We're oh, currently got it. Got it. In. Oh, okay. Jonathan Druan, because Druan kind of sounds like Druan. Hey. All right. That's correct. Okay. All right. So I think we're at 50% right now, which is... Pretty bad. Four for eight. Okay. All right. The next two questions are very closely related. Uh, So we had a big logo thing, didn't we? Uh, Back in March. Logo ranking. In the pandemic, we did the logo ranking. And so the ninth question of this quiz is, which logo was your least favorite? My least favorite logo was the Washington Capitals. Was it? I do believe that's incorrect. Uh, I listened to it, and I think he said Carolina Hurricanes. I'm like... Yep, you're right. You're yeah. right. Washington okay. was 30. Carolina was 31. All right. Wow. So, oh, this, guy's, uh, this, guy's, this guy's logo takes aren't even consistent. Come on Can't now. even remember my own list. Ooh, feels bad. All right. And the last question. Can you crack 500 at least? Uh, what was my least favorite logo on March 22nd? Okay, I want to hit the 500, so I'm going to go through every team and try to think oh, which one stands right. out as your least favorite logo. Because I don't think we had the same one, so I don't think yours was Carolina. Uh, yours might have been Washington, because we both had that one super low. Uh, okay, it wasn't like Columbus or Detroit. Um, um, the Islanders, I think you had pretty low. Don't think they were last place, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I think your least favorite logo was the Washington Capitals logo. Unfortunately, that is incorrect because uh, my least favorite logo, because I just found it completely uncomfortable, uh, was a team currently still in the NHL playoffs, the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, yeah, I remember being like, wow, that's such a terrible pick for last place. Yeah, now that you mention it. You know, now that I say it out loud, 
It kind of is a terrible pick for last place, isn't it? But uh, makes her a pretty good trivia question, I gotta say. Wow. All right. Well, I guess I guess I I really truly embarrassed myself in this trivia about my own podcast. So a little bit embarrassing. A little bit embarrassing. Gotta say, uh, my excuse this time will be that it's been more weeks than usual without me uh, on the receiving end of some trivia on your behalf. So I'm a little rusty. Uh, but next week I will be I will be sending a trivia your way, and I already know exactly what the theme is going to be just gotta work out the kinks a little bit but it'll be it'll be good can we get a can we get a hint for the listeners uh, about the theme all right uh the hint is hmm hard to come up with a hint without giving too much away i'll just say it has okay here's a good hint it has something to do with the upcoming montreal offseason oh boy okay all right so uh that's an exciting uh spicy little preview for next week uh and so you have anything else uh to add before we sign off for the week yeah before we sign off for the week uh pretty soon uh we will be switching from podbean as our source to anchor so within the next month or so a month and a half maybe we'll probably being switched from from podbean to anchor i am pretty sure it should run smoothly and if you listen on on spotify or podcast player or wherever it should still be there, and if it like I don't know, it disappears for a couple of days and comes back. Maybe that'll happen. Not really sure, but we are going to be making that little change. That's where we'll be headed in the the near future of this podcast. Yeah, we end the season two. Uh, we get a new podcast provider. Provider. All right. Uh, so yeah, that'll be it for this week. Uh, so uh, that's the end of the Hab season, and that's the end of our fiftieth episode. And so, yeah, thank you very much for listening, especially if you've stuck around for how many episodes you've, you've done. It's every single listen is important to us. And so, yeah, uh, subscribe to us on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and for the next little while, just the next little while, the Podbeam website. And, uh, yeah, hit us up on our Twitters. I think they're both in the description. I still need to update my profile. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week uh, when we got some second round action. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.